Discussing Network presents Discussing Who, a Doctor Who podcast. I am Kyle Jones, and I want to welcome everyone who is listening to this podcast, whether you are a first-time listener or if you have been with us for a long time. And we are glad that you are here, and we hope that you can take a moment to go to either Podchaser, if you use Podchaser, or Google Podcast, or wherever you get your podcast and leave us a review. We would very much appreciate that. And who are we? Again, my name is Kyle Jones, and I want to welcome back, starting with Lee Shackelford. Lee, I'll start with you this week. How goes the day? Just let us live. Okay, uh, I'm you're good. living. <laughs> sure. It's one of my takeaway lines from this episode. But yeah, yeah, I'm doing, doing pretty doggone good. Pretty doggone good. I've had a lot of uh, stressors on me that have gone uh, gone away sort of one by one. I'm just sort of watching them pop like little balloons. It's pretty nice. Awesome. Over to Clarence Brown. Mr. Brown, how goes the day? Uh, going okay, man. I can't complain too much, but as always, glad to be back on with you guys to talk about some Dr. Who. Well, I don't have any news except for one thing that I would like to mention, and unfortunately, this is not happy news. This is actually, of course, sad news, because it is with sadness that we report the passing of Kenneth Barr. Kenneth is a longtime Doctor Who fan and is a member of the Doctor Who community as a whole. He is most known to me from his association with the Cultum Collective. So I saw that on Facebook this weekend from our friend Dave Cooper. So from all of us here at Discussing Who, you know, to Ken's family and friends, we would like to, you know, tip our hats to you. So there you go. Any thoughts, gentlemen? No, not at all. I, I, um, Kenneth was, of course, one of those people that we correspond with or, or, you know, talk to and about, but, uh, have never met in person. So, um, I, I don't, I don't know any more to the story than, than what you've told us, but there you are. So always sad, always sad. But you know what? It's another testament to the beauty of the community that fandoms, not just Doctor Who, but in this case, Doctor Who, but it, whether it be Star Trek, whether it be Sherlock, whether it be, you know, Doctor Who or whatever, Star Wars, whatever your genre is, it's really heartening that you can create these opportunities for people who would never meet, excuse me, to have the ability to come together and form a bigger community that we wouldn't have had 40, 50 years ago. That's true. It's very true. So you, you needed to be in the army or something like that to to have mm-hmm. these pe- these friends from all over the place, and, you know, that you had shared experiences with or something like that. Yeah. So yep. you you remind me that I did have another sort of Doctor Who related story. There's a it's it's no more than rumor, no more than rumor. But you never know. Uh, so I read on the social medias out there in the Twitterverse that folks at the BBC are considering the diminishing reputation of the police in some circles and as so as such are wondering if they want the titular hero of doctor who to be zizzing through time and space in a vehicle that says police on it Mm. (sighs) oh wow that's isn't that something i don't i don't believe it i i don't i i call no way but Interesting argument, though. Yeah, and I want to let's let's have that argument. Uh, so, what do you guys think? I'm I'm, I'm curious. Uh, I mean, personally, for me, um, although the police definitely have some hurdles to get over. I mean, not even just of 2020 over <laughs> times past of all yeah. of the things that have gone down, maybe in secret, but you know, we have the internet now that kind of brings those things to light with with uh, the internet and smartphones, and everybody has a camera and so on. I I do still think we need our uh, our public servant the police yes. <laughs> public service, but that being said, uh, when you're talking about this science fiction property that has this staple of the show, which is the TARDIS and what it represents in a way, um, I don't know, know if I've ever really if the police part ever really dawns on me, but you know you look at it and there it is. Before I throw it to you guys, I'll also say it's a far cry from having. 
a certain flag on top of one of my favorite vehicles, the General Lee. <laughs> exactly. So, and so, you know, I don't, in the grand scheme of things, it's not that bad. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Every now and then somebody who has just come out of the TARDIS is mistaken for a, an officer of the law. You know, uh, we, we got that with Rory just uh, recently of the, um, the hungry earth that they thought he was, he must be police. Um, yeah, the TARDIS is the only thing that has been consistent throughout the entire series. Yeah. You could argue that it's the star of the show. Mm. Yeah, you guys were just gushing over TARDIS blue not too yes, long ago. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> we, <laughs> we, knew, we knew it was blue even when the show was in black and white. So I'm sitting here thinking, you know, if, if, if I lived in the UK, I might have a better understanding of the significance of the police box, obviously, if I lived in the UK than if we did here. So I get that. But have you guys ever looked at a word, whatever that word is? I mean, just take any word. And if you look at it long enough, it's almost like it stops being that word. And it absolutely just looks like form. Mm-hmm. And to me, that's what whenever I see police box on the TARDIS, it to me is a decoration. I don't immediately say, ooh, Police box. I think that's the TARDIS. It's just yeah. a adornment of the TARDIS, just as the eleventh Doctor wore a bow tie. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and again, you mentioned Cal. Um, there's obviously going to be a disconnect for us in here in America to where you know I don't know. Did we have police boxes? I don't think we did. Um, mm-hmm. Even if we did, we, they're not really in our consciousness the way they are over there. You know, if it was a police car, we might think of it differently, you know. Um, mm. But but as it is a police box, we're like, eh, you know, it's, it's yeah. far enough removed from me where it doesn't really impact me. I think even for most modern Britons, they, you know, I mean, if you're younger than I am, you would never have seen one. Um, and, you know, I mm. think we've had this discussion, not this particular discussion, but a similar discussion on this very podcast on one of our previous episodes where we were talking about the TARDIS itself and referencing that the TARDIS as it looks and the shape of it as a police box is not the traditional police box shape as what most police boxes were. Yeah, it's, it's certainly shifted and blurred as the years have gone by. But uh, uh, the photographs I've seen of, uh, of some from the 50s and 60s varied widely. Some of them were made of concrete. Mm. For example, which, you know, if there was supposed to be a temporary holding pen where you could grab somebody and put them in there and lock the door. I really like the idea that it may be made of concrete. <laughs> but, um, <laughs> yeah. Uh, uh, so, yeah, and, there, and some were taller and some were stouter and so on. But um, but, yeah, you could still sort of recognize the silhouette. But but that was a long time ago. Yeah. I, I, I think in the world of the show, we understand that it is a it is the show's most long running joke that. The, the spaceship, the time and spaceship they're traveling in is stuck in this silly form. This, yeah, it, it was supposed to be camouflage. Now it doesn't fit with anything. <laughs> no matter where they go, they don't blend in anywhere. It's, it's so much a staple of the show at this point, too. I don't it would be hard to see them changing that at any point in the future. Yeah. You know, if you look at it and kind of piggybacking off of what Clarence just said, you change the lead actor, the doctor. You change the co-stars, the companions. Mm-hmm. There has to, and you change the TARDIS interior at left, right, right. and center. <laughs> That's true. And the location and time changes every a- week. Absolutely. <laughs> and even, yes, the look of the TARDIS from the current TARDIS with the 13th Doctor to the Doctor uh, 11 and 12 to even 9 and 10, if we want to go new who, their exterior traditionally changes a little bit but it's Mm -hmm. still recognizable so i i think that was good conversation but clickbait conversation exactly exactly i did appreciate that the whovian who was repeating the rumor pointed out that there was a flirtation you know late in the original series with playing what the tardis looked like um that we saw for the first time the master turn his tardis into something else but we knew that his uh is a horse caravan. The first time we saw him was supposed to be his TARDIS and things like that. So yeah. uh, at one point, um, the uh, the sixth Doctor's TARDIS becomes a, 
like a giant, like a Wurlitzer organ, a giant <laughs> jukebox at one point, things like that. So, and uh, and we have just recently and New Who seen it uh, become invisible. So, yeah. Yep. Further, if we want to go into the future just a bit, we've seen it become a house. Thirteenth uh, last season, series twelve. <gasps> That's true. So. Yeah. So yeah. And, and, oh, and and in my my favorite Peter Capaldi too. Uh, the uh, where where we saw it uh, change uh, scale. Oh dramatically. Yes. yeah. Yeah, but but still, um, so it, I, I I enjoy playing with the TARDIS exterior like that, but I yeah I don't seriously see any permanent change coming. No, no, but who knows? Who, who knows? knows. <laughs> but what I do know is we have some feedback, some brief feedback. So I want to give a quick shout out to a gentleman who is not only a friend of Discussing Who, but also of the Discussing Network, Mr. Bill Lemon. He has given some feedback on some of our recent episodes, and he says, I'm very happy that even though it's been years since I've watched them, you include plenty of details. And for me, it allows me to relive watching these episodes. So, Bill, thank you for your feedback, for your support, and we hope you are enjoying listening. Yeah, yeah, 100%. Thank, thank you for writing in, Bill, and also for these wonderful images that you've dropped in these emails that you sent us. I I think the art is fantastic uh, that you did here. And yeah, thanks for that little bit of joy that we got in our inbox for those. So really appreciate it. Absolutely. Absolutely. So gentlemen, I have a quick question. Do you guys have anything else before we get into the review? Well, real quick, I'll give a call to action. If anyone else wants to write in to us and tell us all about how we're doing good or bad or, or want us to review something or cover a topic, they can do that by writing to discussingwho at gmail.com or hit us at discussingwho on any of the social media networks. Alrighty. So for everyone listening, if you have not seen The Rebel Flesh, put us on pause, go out, watch the episode, come back, because from this moment forward, Spoilers. 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 The spoiler warning has gone out and we are back to review The Rebel Flesh. This is the fifth episode of the 2011 series of Doctor Who, first airing on the 21st of May 2011. It starred Matt Smith as the 11th Doctor, Karen Gillan as Amelia Pond, and Arthur Darville as Rory William. Summary view. Clarence Brown, I'll start with you. What did you think of this episode? Oh, boy. <laughs> um, I really did not love this episode. I thought it was interesting. Um, of course, I didn't remember that it was a two-parter either. So once I got to the end, I'm like, oh, okay, there's another part to this story. And then it made this half that we've seen so far make a little bit more sense. But some interesting concepts definitely in this episode of, of, of how this flesh operates. I thought all of that was interesting and cool. But um, yeah, yeah, a, a good mystery, a good start to a, a good two-parter. So I, I think it was okay, but I didn't love it. I didn't love it. What about you guys? I, I I remembered really enjoying this two-parter, and I was glad to see to start watching it again. Um, I I enjoy it's scary. This is a good old hide behind the sofa, especially when Jennifer's head is coming out on her Elastigirl <laughs> neck and things like that. Yikes! And uh, yeah. so it, it's um, if you like that sort of thing, it's a lot of fun. But I I just I just love the 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 ethical question the moral question that's kind of kind of at the heart of this story and the way it gets dealt with it uh i don't know it, it's 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 something i've actually thought a lot about and we're gonna talk about it i feel sure so what's your quick um take on it kyle well as i often do i wind up somewhere in the middle of the two of you and the reason i say that is i've never liked this two-parter as in watching it in the past. This is definitely not one that I revisit. Maybe, you know, I might have seen this four times, maybe in the 10 years past. So this is, again, definitely not one that I go back to. 
I will say that going into it in review mode, there are some things that I appreciated about it more this time than I've done in the past. So it did give me a new appreciation. And like you said, Lee, we'll get into it. But I think I have to echo more into the line of what Clarence said. It's a good story for what it is, but I'm not quite sure I liked it, liked it. But that's okay. But there we go. Not quite sure I like it. So I want to say a start off of something that I absolutely did like. We get a view of this place that they're going to, this monastery that they're going to, and we get this widescreen angle view of this place. Lee, what did you think? Any thoughts of how that place looked? No, I was eager to see what was what was going to happen there. You know, that it's it's so obviously old that it means that we could be, from our point of view, this could be taking place anytime in the last seven hundred years, right? So, yeah, just anticipation. All right, Clarence, what about you? Uh, for me, I definitely love how we we get this view of this castle and this rock, this island. So I thought that was cool. But for me, even thinking back on these episodes, I used to get this episode or these this two-parter confused with the crash of the Byzantium. Because for some reason, the way they're, the way they're shooting in front of that wall at the very beginning reminds me of the same episodes. So... I used to get these tied up in my head <laughs> going back and thinking about them. But that's what the beginning kind of reminded me of. It looked like the same scene for me. I know it's probably vastly different, but in my head, I was getting those two mixed up. Yep. I, I could see that, but they were on an island, right? Wasn't it? In this episode? Yes. Yes. Yeah. So the the way that that did not confuse me, I could see how it would based on the look of it. But because of it being an island and with all that liquid surrounding them i really knew that the there there was other water in the forest but and, and there wasn't any river so uh. but that being said we meet these people at the monastery and at before we get there whenever he mentions it being a monastery and after we have recently reviewed the meddling monk i couldn't help but think of uh, i wonder if that was a nod to the monk you certainly get a lot more uh, room to run around in than they did in that episode. Oh, yes, 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 yes. Yeah. And, and probably couldn't be because that was not on an island, so it wasn't. I, I just <laughs> cor- corrected myself. What? I think I think you'll find that England is an island, sir. Yes, it is. So let me ask you guys this. What did you guys think of when we get there and we see what's going on and we find out that there are these gangers as they're called. What did you think your initial thoughts of them? And Lee, why don't you go first this time? Well, it's a great teaser, isn't it? When when we see two of them talking to a third companion and one of, and he's melting in acid and it's a joke. They're laughing about it. And um, really the, um, let's see, I've got it right here. The last line before, we go away to the titles. Well, we, yeah, we see Buzzer raise his hand, which melts. Uh, oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, and, uh, uh, oh, lighten up. It's not like anyone was hurt. Yeah. Yeah, as he melts away. <laughs> as he completely melts. Yeah. yeah. So we know we're talking. We already know what we're talking about. We're talking about people who literally do not matter. And for a lot of us, that automatically raises some hackles. And I'm like, okay, I want to know what this is about. So that's where I was before we went to the opening titles. For me, it immediately, since, since we see that this person at this point that we think is a person is it, so indispensable, it really made me think of uh, Avatar or Drone. You know, something mm-hmm. has to be some mechanism to allow them to, to have this one human or a seemingly human uh, that can, you know, melt away. And then we turn around, he's walking around the corner. So it instantly had me thinking, Okay, there's some cool science fiction concept that they have behind all of this that should play out to be really interesting for this episode. So they kind of had me hooked right with that, you know, so flippantly (laughs) letting him melt away in that um, acid. We see them in these devices. These looks like I don't know what you want to call it, some kind of almost. Of phys- I mean, what would you call the device that they were laying down on? Because they weren't exactly laying down on a gurney or anything. What would you guys call that? 
Mm, I don't know if there's a word for it, but it yeah. definitely definitely gave me echoes of the 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 Avatar movie, the blue mm-hmm. the blue guy Avatar movie. It's pretty much the same concept. Got you. So that thing that they get into, there is at one point where Jennifer, the character Jennifer, it activates it, and we see her in in it as her duplicate is about to be formed. And I r- wanted to point this to you, Clarence. First, did did that look reminiscent of anything else we've seen on television? Maybe another franchise, perhaps. Uh, well, I'll say immediately the look of of these uh gangers when they're in their like half state uh their phasing state it looks a lot like odo from uh, ds9 so that's what it reminded me of <laughs> i don't know particularly what you're referring to but that's kind of what it reminded me of odo in ds9 because he he has that kind of uh not quite shaped face but you can see he's trying so i i thought that was was interesting and we see that look come back again and again throughout this episode. See, I didn't even think that, but that is very true. I didn't even think that. So, Lee, do you, I'm curious, based on my question, that that thing that they get into, did you get any vibes from anything else? Or I'm curious. Oh, I I feel like it's been that's an idea that we've seen a million times in uh, in sci-fi franchises. The the thing where someone has to to lie down in a you know, roughly humanoid shape and there are contacts for your head and for your fingers. Um, and, and that that's a way that you activate something or something happens to you or, you know, we've seen it so many times and particularly on Dr. Who. And then when we saw Jennifer coming out of the, the goop, uh, I thought immediately of the, uh, the fake Martha Jones being yes. made by the Suntorans. So yeah. Yeah. Where I was going with it was, it reminded me a little bit of the Borg alcoves that they recharged and specifically oh, yeah. thinking seven yeah. of nine. Right. That's a very good example. Yeah. yeah. We've seen the Borg uh, go into their little, um, I always thought of it as the boxes they come in. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> don't open the box. They're more valuable. Get back in the box. Get back in the box. Speaking of getting back into something, because mm. I found this to be one of the times that they did something for storyline purposes that didn't quite make sense. And I'm curious to see what you guys think. So we're in a location and we know that the doctor and Amy and Rory arrive because of this solar storm is what we're told. And they get there and there's a solar storm coming. And this place that they're at is powered by solar energy is if there is a solar storm coming and the location where you are receives your power from solar energy, why would you not take cover? Thoughts. Was it a was there a possibility of them being able to take cover? And I'll, I'll admit this is the part of the episode that loses me because we know the doctor, Amy Roy, go to they go away to a different room. And I guess the doctor is looking for that the the power source or whatever i can't quite remember on that but that's when the accident or the 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 flare happens and they're all knocked out so the, you're gonna have to have me out on this because i'm wondering like what caused them not to die but I, I, i'm confused well maybe this is going to be explained in the next episode but this whole portion of the episode just made no sense to me and that might be why i don't like it as much I was having trouble hanging on to why they're mining acid or why they're moving acid from one place to another. Um, what? And it's powered by the sun through the weather vane. I don't. That's a, wait. That's what? a rooster. Yeah. Yeah. The yeah the antenna. Well, whatever you called it, the thing the doctor was going out there to look at. <laughs> yeah. You know, I just didn't. It, it was one of those times where it just lost its credibility for a second because the doctor even references to the lady in charge. He says, you know, something about taking cover. And she says, I'm in charge and we're not going to do that. And I'm like, you're just being bullheaded by yeah. not doing what this stranger is telling you to do at your own worst instinct or whatever. Yeah. And, but I know you needed that for the story, but it just didn't. Same true. But you know, uh, you may want to sit down for this. All right. Uh, so let me do it. Sit. Right. Thank you. But in the midst of a global pandemic, when it has been demonstrated by experts that the best way to keep from transmitting it person to person is to wear a mask, 
there are people you're sitting down, right? <laughs> who would refuse to wear the mask? I, I'm just saying. So I have heard. So I have heard. <laughs> people have told me. Okay, so here's the deal. All right, are you are you sitting down? I am. So just so you know that if that were to happen in a storyline, just so you know that that is a conspiracy created by the Daleks and the Cybermen to take over the world. Well, That's in the, which case you shouldn't wear. Yeah, yeah, no, yeah, <laughs> no, no. Defy the Daleks. Don't wear your mask. Yeah, yeah. Just sure. saying. You know, Daleks are saying. You know. I, 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 I'm sure that there are great Daleks on both sides. Just say <laughs> that's right. Bat Daleks fine. and Cybermen fine, on both sides. Fine Daleks on both sides. Yeah, you know, but, some you know, are but, multicolored. You know, you got exactly. Some see, you got you got some Fisher Price colors going there. <laughs> Dalek Con. Yeah. Before we go too far down that uh, particular <laughs> rabbit hole, uh, I, I wanted to mention that we have been uh, complaining here recently about uh, episodes where the TARDIS is conveniently off limits when it would, of course, uh, and sometimes through completely bogus explanations, or we just pretend like we've forgotten about it or something. Yeah. But in this episode, lo and behold, we have a legit reason why they can't get back in the TARDIS, and it's a... Uh, it's it's a it's a it's a great visual. You you never forget it. Oh no! And you know what? Uh, I think that was the TARDIS having maybe a, a a memory of maybe a fugitive of a Jadoon. Just saying. Yeah, Ooh. same visual, just about. Oh, yeah, that's right. Yeah. So to me, that was one of the coolest scenes out of the you know the entire episode was seeing that again and relating it to another episode, and that was like oh. Crap. Yeah. Oh, well, you know, we keep talking about the, going back to the uh, the, the meddling monk, too. Uh, but uh, the TARDIS is uh, partly underwater in that episode, too. Indeed. Yeah. So how about that? You know, Lee, you offered an excellent segue into the next thing I wanted to, to discuss when you said we're going down a rabbit hole. But instead oh, yeah. of going down a rabbit hole, I want to climb up something. And specifically for this one, or particularly for this one, you know, he's climbing up to get to the weather vane. But in the larger scope of Doctor Who, you know, I can recall episodes where this action repeats across different eras. I can think of the fourth Doctor. 10th Doctor, 11th, and 12th, just to give a few examples. Why do you think, and this is for both of you guys, why do you guys think that this trope of the Doctor climbing and having to do fill-in-the-blank is often repeated over different eras, different Doctors? Why do you think that is? Thoughts? Hmm. I, I have wondered the same thing, and it really came to me this time. He had to climb the tower in a vampires of venice we saw him climb the tower in evolution of the dialects he's got to yeah. climb in a hurry and you know and on and on and on and i sometimes you know having to, to climb a ladder in a hurry or a rope or whatever it is 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 thrilling somehow in these uh, doctor who's i i rarely find it that compelling and i wonder why yeah i remember saying that i didn't like it in evolution of the daleks but he i think that was episode but but here it it I, I just glaze over and pay no attention to it. It's like I didn't care one bit. I'm like, oh, not this again. Yeah, I really right. feel disgusted yeah. by it a little not bit. Not this again. Yeah. Yeah. Let me let me pose this to you as a possible answer to the question. So if I were watching Iron Man as a movie, you know, as a, or as a story, Tony Stark has the ability with the suit to do all these crazy off, I mean, crazy awesome things. Then if I'm watching Black Panther and he is the hero and he has this suit and, that does all these great, you know, great awesome things as well as his own, you know, fighting ability, et cetera, and so forth. And I could go on and on. Captain America has his shield and et cetera, and so forth. The doctor has the sonic screwdriver, has the TARDIS, but, and yes, they've displayed you know, that he is telepathic or that the doctor, not necessarily he, but that the doctor is telepathic. Maybe this is a trope that is used to show the doctor being awesome in a way that's not just using his mind. Maybe. Mm -hmm. I yeah. I think that's true. I'm not sure if it's, I'm not sure if it works, I guess, is what we're saying. If we, if we feel like we're getting tired of it, but, but it does, you know, anytime that he, uh, displays some physical prowess we can be impressed but yeah, yeah. And, and 
And maybe like some variations on that, you know, maybe instead of him always climbing, like go grab the TARDIS and like open the door to TARDIS right in front of the tower and fix it. You know, just variations on that somehow uh, might feel a little Uh, bit more fun. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you would think that the doctor would learn. And and let's go back to one of the previous stories that I mentioned. And it's one of the earlier stories that I mentioned that he would learn about climbing things is the fourth doctor with Logopolis. Just saying, don't climb things because you might fall. Climb things. Yes. So, well, it was his time. It was. And it is time because we had a storm to talk about the gangers, as they were calling them, becoming autonomous. And I noticed that there is an almost instantaneous aversion to them, not by Rory and Amy and the doctor, but by their originals that they were duplicated from. Clarence, why do you think that happened? Why do you think that there was a aversion to them? Or did you see them? I, I mean, I think you did, but did you see them having an aversion to them? And I, I definitely see the reason why. Um, speaking of, again of, of Star Trek, there's an episode of Voyager called Demons, where they go on this demon-class planet, and they touch this liquid that duplicate, duplicates basically the whole crew. So they have like a similar argument that we see here of who's who and who deserves to leave and all this other stuff. So yeah, there you're going to have a, you're going to have a problem with it simply because this new entity has sentience now and it believes it's you. I mean, we've seen this concept in other science fiction as well many, many times. Yes. But, but it, it, for all intents and purposes, it can think it has its own reasoning. It's sentient. And it thinks it's you. So that's an automatic threat into everything that you know as well, because they think your family is their family. And, you know, if if it comes to a point where you're indistinguishable or, uh, you know, you think cloning the same way, how cloning works in some series, same thing. Who gets to go back? Whose family is whose? So it's definitely going to be some conflict once you have these two beings, which are for all intents and purposes, indistinguishable indistinguishable from each other. Awesome. Lee, what do you say? Yeah. (laughs) Oh, I could write a book. (laughs) Because, (laughs) yeah, there's so much going on here that, that, uh, as I said, to start with, this is the part of the episode that I really like. This is is what I dig. For one thing, you you know that I'm a a huge admirer of um, the Czech playwright Karl Chapek. I'll share a photo of, of me at his grave, in fact, when we got to go to Prague. Uh, but he but he wrote the play R- Rossum's Universal Robot, so uh, R-U-R, uh, which gives the world the word robot. It's Czech. And in that play, there are artificial people who are made to do factory work, who are made to do all the things that we don't want to do. And surprise, halfway through the play, we find out that the robots kind of resent it and really um, and ultimately say, you know what? No. And in fact, you've made us to be better than you. So uh, you're really kind of um, not necessary. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, that was that was in 1921. <laughs> and we've we've been we've been milking that cow ever since. Uh, yeah. And of course, I have a, an adaptation of that play that's uh, popularly produced. So, yeah, if anybody's been milking that cow, it's been me. But <laughs> uh, it's so. So uh, that's what I saw in the gangers. Of course, I said, oh, it's 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 Rossum's robots that's that's what's going on here and and they make the same argument you know you made us to think like you to look like you to be like you we're yeah. people we are people we if we know all the things you know and could do all the things you do plus some more what's your argument exactly why are we less than why are you calling us the almost people good lord and so so there's that there's also this sort of star trek thing which really I've been in the fandom from the beginning, you know, and I, I, I don't remember this ever being brought up until just a few years ago. But is the transporter a suicide machine? <laughs> uh, <laughs> oh, don't start that debate. <laughs> well, <laughs> because because that's exactly what's happening here, right? Yeah, they're creating somebody who looks like them, has their memories, has their thoughts, has everything about them. How is it not them? In what way is that not them? Yeah, yeah. And that, that's the argument for people who don't know about the transporter was really what's happening is that thing takes you apart and you're dead. What yes. is materialized on the other side is somebody who thinks they're you. Yeah. Yeah. 
and sometimes accidents happen. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, and that's my argument for about the episode Heaven Sent. I, I really feel like the doctor is dead. The doctor is irretrievably, irreversibly dead. The doctor's killed over and over and over and over again in that episode. And he's being replaced by people who think they're the doctor. Mm. Mm. So that, that's my problem with that. <laughs> Let's say that we go to, you know, after post COVID, we go to XYZ event, whatever that might be. And we walk into a room and there is another Clarence. There's another Lee. There's another Kyle sitting there that are exact duplicates of us down to everything what you, that you two just described. How would you feel and how would you respond? I, Curious. I have been, I have been in groups of nerdy fans at conventions where somebody said, um, well, how will I know you when I see you? And I say, oh, I'm the big bald guy. Okay, sorry. That's not going to help you. Um, <laughs> you're about to enter a room of big bald guys. Um, yeah. So that's my smart alecky answer. But no, if, if it really, if it was, if it was still, but yeah, if it was obviously the three of us, I would say, yikes. Um, what, what happened here? Yeah. Who gets to go home? <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. And my, my immediate thought is, is that guy going home to my wife? Oh, yeah, it's been plenty of things that have played on that, too. Yes, yes. <laughs> Placing the spouse and stuff, yeah. Um, yeah, I kind of found in my mind, I was thinking of how their system actually works, which is it's a little different than, than kind of, I guess, I originally thought, because it seems like they're getting in that chamber, in the board chamber, like you said, uh, Cal. And, <laughs> and at first, I thought they were controlling the Avatar, mm-hmm. which is not what's happening. They're just there in stasis while the avatar operates as them, which is an added twist that I guess makes this a little bit more special. Because I'm assuming if they wake up at any time, the avatar would just drop. Yeah, I, I think I think we were the, the show does a very good job of teaching us the rules by showing Jennifer nod off and then her avatar rises from the, the pit. Yeah, like like Raja Ghul. And, and and Jennifer apparently wakes up in that body like it's me. Yeah. And if uh, she were yeah. to wake up, it would be yeah. like somebody going wakey, wakey. And she'd wake up basically. Right. And, and she's there until, until that, that body wears out. So what's happened with the, uh, the, the sonic, the, the solar storm is that it's broken that connection. So now it's possible for the first time for there to be two. Oh, uh, see, I did not get that. <laughs> I'm not sure I did the first time either. Yeah. So, yeah. So now there can be two of them. Who have their consciousness at the same time? Going mm. back to Star Trek, we we had to explore that with the transporter too. Uh, yeah, a couple of times. But but remember, like you know, the first few episodes, one of the first things we did on Star Trek was was split Kirk into two. Into yep. two and, yeah, um, and you know, uh, talking about splitting the main character into two, it, it's an interesting take on what we you know we we're talking about this being something that we really weren't that much into, but as a fan, for the most part, in some aspects, but as a fan, the idea, and and we kind of get it at the end of this, not really, but kind of, that the concept of, ooh, multi-doctor stories, cool, but from the perspective of the doctor, isn't this sort of kind of the same thing? Sure. It's somebody else, different body, different, uh, you know, but still, it's them. I've I've often thought about in those stories, if you're going to take it seriously at all, that to me, it seemed like it would be most troubling to be working side by side with a future you who remembers you. Yeah. Who knows how you're going to die. Mm. Who who may regret things that you haven't done yet. Mm. Yeah. yeah. Um, and, and Day of the Doctor, they kind of hint on that a little they, they bit. They do. They really, they really touch on it. Yeah. So let me ask you guys what you thought of this truce that they had between or that they were coming to. I don't think they really ever got to that point, but they're getting to the point to where the gangers, the duplicates and the original that they were copied from, they're starting to talk to each other and they're starting to realize, hey, you are me, et cetera, and so forth. And then, of course, just as we saw in The Hungry Earth, you know, you've got that character that's the hothead and is impulsive and shoots and kills. 
Yep. Thoughts about that and how it just derailed the whole truce. Any thoughts? Yeah, it, it, it certainly has to remind you of Hungry Earth um, when when Cleves uh, just shoots somebody. Um, and and it's so sad because you're right. We It really did look like the doctor was brokering a, a peace and saying there's, there's room enough for everybody. Um, it's, just, it's just like Hungry Earth. So it hurts. Yeah, for, for me, it's weird in the aspect of, was it Chelsea was was the lady's name? I can't Cleves. remember. Cleves, yeah, Cleves. Yeah. Where I get Chelsea from? Yeah, but the fact that she was, even though she could visually see them all looking like their normal forms, they weren't phasing at this time. Um, she was still calling them monsters. Mm-hmm. You know, it just it just made me think of no matter what some, and we know these are not people, but for all, for all intents and purposes, they are, but. No matter what some people do, some people are just going to see you as a monster regardless. <laughs> you know? mm-hmm. Just the, I guess, the mental hurdle you have to get over to actually try to take out yourself. You know, you got to look at yourself in the mirror and try to take out yourself, which, again, we know it's not her. But still, um, she, I guess the hot head was needed. But but it, it just felt sit down for a second and listen. <laughs> you know, she yeah. never gave it a chance. So we get to the end and, you know, they're, they're basically locked up in one room. And of course, you know, here comes the evil others, whoever the evil others may be in this story are coming for us. And they come face to face as this cliffhanger gives us a cliffhanger with a duplicate doctor. And Lee, why don't you take this one first? The duplicate doctor, initial thoughts. I remember the, the the surprise, you know, doesn't work um, after the first time you've seen it. But I remember just being delighted by that. And, of course, we teased it because we we we, we have uh, the doctor say to somebody, trust me, I'm the doctor. Uh, and then we hear then we see a pair of lips appear in the vat that say, trust me. Yeah. So you're thinking, could it be? Could it be? So uh, so it's not the biggest surprise in the world. It's one of those things more like you're kind of hoping that's where this is going. Because I think it would be great fun for there to be a ganger doctor. And uh, and then, yeah, lo and behold, that's what happens. Yay. Yeah, I liked it. All right. Clarence, what about you? Yeah, it, uh, like Lee said, it was certainly predictable. We had all the hints there. So it wasn't really a surprise per se. But, hey, it still was fun. <laughs> it was fun to see another doctor pop up. And, you know, I'm guessing what we'll get in this episode, the next episode is to see the dynamic of those two working together in some shape, form or fashion. So I, I love that. That was my favorite scene, too, just seeing him pop up. <laughs> yeah. that You know, I'll go ahead and say right there for me, that is my favorite scene, too, is, you know, seeing just m- Matt Smith already has this alien look about him, and I don't mean that in a negative way, but he he just has this awkward alien look, and to see it accentuated to the degree it was with that, because he doesn't get to put prosthetics on because he's just himself as the doctor, I thought that was very cool. All right, so gentlemen, before we get into our favorite quote, because Lee, unless you have another one, we may have already said our favorite scene, but do you guys have any other items that you wanted to bring up before we get into favorite scene and favorite quote? Well, we did get another one-second glimpse of the eye patch woman. Indeed. Yep. And I always try not, for spoiler purposes, to say her name, because I do know what it is, but <laughs> anyway... Yeah, so that mystery just continues to to deepen as this uh, series goes along. And without giving a spoiler on it, uh, let me say this real quick. Watching this knowing what we know from later mm-hmm. and watching Matt Smith do some of the ticks that he does when he asks some questions and he looks at certain people, it makes me go, good acting on you. Very good acting. Yeah, yeah absolutely. All right. I, I, I have a completely weird, silly thing that I wanted to bring up. Ooh, weird and silly is good. Yeah, um, <laughs> Russell T. Davies and uh, Russell T. Davies and um, Stephen Moffat both did something that I, I in their runs there as showrunners, that I always thought was interesting for all of us who were raised as Christians. That they can't let go the the Christ narrative. They keep wanting to to touch on it, um, especially with the Tenth Doctor. Um, he was apparently there at um, the resurrection. He was there uh, at the birth of Jesus. Um, 
he starts to tell us why there was no room at the end uh, and he gets interrupted. And, and there's a number of things like that. I'm not sure if this episode has another one in it or not, but I'm, I just thought it interesting when they're talking about the, the cockerel, the, the rooster that's on the weather vane. And the doctor says, uh, you know, when that wave hits, kaboom, I've got to get to that cockerel before all hell breaks loose. Oh, I'd never thought I'd have to say that again. Mm. Mm. And a- am I wrong? For those of us raised <laughs> with the New Testament, uh, the most famous rooster in, in mm. the world. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I, I, I've got to get. What was he going to do? I've got to get to the <laughs> cockerel before all hell breaks loose because <laughs> he didn't. He didn't get there. I'm not going to tell you what I thought. So, uh, okay. Uh, it was, it so wasn't that. So, uh, all right. Yeah. So let me just say that I won't tell you what I thought. Um, it's, it's supposed to be, it's Simon Peter's conscience as well. There you go. Yeah. But, uh, apparently the doctor, yeah, I don't know, but, or, or I could be completely wrong about that. But of course, you know, wired the way my brain is, that's what I thought that was about. But it's, it's another one of those things that's tossed off so quickly. The way he, the way this character talks, that you know, who knows? Who knows? All right, so guys, are we ready for our favorite quote? So if we're they're on this planet doing this very dangerous job where they have to use these avatars, and I know for story purposes we want the avatars to look like the people that are in the alcove thingies, mm-hmm. but I think I would have chose like a different avatar if I could. You know, maybe a big burly guy to lift some crates or something. That's you. That's what I was well, about to say. I don't know about <laughs> But I get your point. Why why not make it you know, somebody who's who's blue and has eleven eyeballs, you know? Yeah. Just, yeah. Yeah. Eight arms or something, you know. Right. Make it make it a big lizard. Yeah. That's a good point. Or maybe that's the only way this works. You know. <laughs> they, they haven't figured out how to do anything besides, you know, move people's thoughts into something that matches them exactly. Yeah. And that makes I guess that makes uh, some sense. That's my Oh that's my Pencil in the margin fix for that. But, but uh, imagine the m- market for that if you had the ability to go buy a new body, whatever that, and have it look like whatever, you know, oh, you want to be six foot, whatever. There, hey, that's uh, 15 extra credits or 5,000 yeah, extra yeah. credits or whatever. I say, it's, it certainly works in, uh, in video games, doesn't it? Yeah, Ready Player One, you know. Right. Yeah. All right. Favorite quote. Clarence Brown, I'll start with you. Favorite quote. Uh, This, too, was in the last part of the episode uh, where the worker, I forget his name, said, this is insane. We're fighting ourselves. Yes, it's insane. It's uh, it's about to get even more insane-er. Yes. Insane-er. All right. Lee Shackelford, favorite quote. This this is part of a conversation, as always. Cleves has got the, the circuit probe. Fires, ooh, about 40,000 volts will kill any one of us, so I guess she'll work on gangers just the same. And the doctor says, it's interesting you refer to them as it, but you call a glorified cattle prod she. <laughs> yeah. 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 Isn't that the way it is? All right. So mine, since we're always talking about our friend Rory, one of my favorite ones was when... Uh, Jennifer says, I couldn't get out of my harness. I thought I was going to die. Rory says, <laughs> welcome to my world. Exactly. <laughs> Tell me about it. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Th- th- thank you, because you reminded me of something I wanted to bring up. Why would Rory not have a, a an automatic um, a, a appeal? Or, or why would these the, the gangers not automatically appeal to him? He's been plastic. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Yeah, he, he knows what this is like. Yeah, and, 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 and kudos him for this episode because he really um, stepped in and was a confider uh, in this episode. And Amy was okay with it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, uh, I, yeah. I, I think this is like Rory's finest hour in some ways. I really do. And I and uh, if we're going to talk about favorite scenes, that's exactly what I want to talk about. So, all right. So um, since we know Clarence and Kyle's favorite scene, Lee Shackelford. What was your favorite scene? <laughs> that that scene in uh, in the locker room um, after um, <laughs> Rory has sort of talked Jennifer down, um, where he 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 holds her. She she falls into his arms and he holds her tightly. And you were reminded that he's that his career is he's a nurse, mm. and and we're reminded once again he's good at this. And like I think 
yeah, he knows what it's like to wake up in a different body and try to figure out if this is you or not. But mm. she says, I noticed your eyes right off. Did you? Yeah, nice eyes, kind. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And she's right. Yeah. She's beautiful. Awesome. All right. Final rating. And I will start off. Final rating. I'm going to give this 3.5 solar storms out of 5. I would have probably, before we started talking, would have given it a 3. But you guys have pointed out some valid points that have made me appreciate the episode episode more. Mainly the conversation we had about what makes someone real and all that. I really enjoyed that. So 3.5 out of 5. Lee Shackelford, what say you? I'm going to go higher for the reasons that I've enumerated here and give it four pairs of doctor lips. <laughs> <laughs> all righty. I guess that's eight. <laughs> Clarence Brown, what say you? Oh man, um, um, I think I'm gonna have to 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 wind up at three sinking tart eye and acid. Mm. Um, yeah, ultimately, I just I I love and I give it a three because it has some very solid concepts of how consciousness is going working with these these avatars or these gangers. I thought that was really, really strong and, you know, a great reveal at the end. But ultimately, I just for some reason, this episode just doesn't work without the second part at all to me. But, you know, it was, it was still enjoyable somewhat. <laughs> and, you know, sometimes we've really enjoyed two parters. We've enjoyed the first part of two parters and then the second part really falls flat. So it'll be yeah. very interesting to see what we think of the almost people. Yeah. I'm going to make a prediction. I think the almost people will almost definitely be better hmm. for us. I think we will appreciate it more. So you know what? I want to say to everyone listening, thank you for joining us. We appreciate your time. We hope you have fun. And guess what? We will be back next time. You've been listening to the Discussing Network. Find out more at DiscussingNetwork.com.